it's january 20th 2023 time for episode 201 of the sports wagon podcast it's your man uncle dub it's the friday edition hit me up on instagram and twitter it's uncle dub its unc le underscore dub lots to get to and talk about today got a lot in college basketball um not a lot of great ranked action on both sides men and women this weekend but of course conference action continues and with the continuation of conference action you know there's going to be some games that look better uh in person as the po- as opposed to them uh on paper so we'll recap all that we'll get to all that in just a moment let's start today's show in the WNBA so we've got some news and notes and then one free agency uh trade situation that's come up again uh we got some stuff coming i think the free agency period uh will begin uh, actually tomorrow um first the news the Chicago Sky and the Minnesota Lynx will play a preseason game in Toronto at Scotiabank Arena on May 13th. So this will be the third preseason game played outside of the United States. On 2004, a game was played in Monterey, Mexico. And in 2011, the game was played in the UK. So makes sense. There are a number of Canadian players in the league, most notably Natalia Chanwa, Bridget Carlton, and Kia Nurse. I think Chanwa and Carlton are both with Minnesota. And Kia Nurse uh, plays with Phoenix, if I recall correctly. Um, so, um, I believe the season will start a couple days afterwards. So that's going to be right close to the beginning of the WNBA season. Remember they're playing a 40 game season this year to free agency and trade news. So let's start with the trade news. First sources are reporting the Atlanta dream are set to acquire Alicia Gray from Dallas. Um, so the deal will involve draft picks. So Atlanta currently, has the number three and the number eight picks in the 2023 draft. Gray, the 2017 Rookie of the Year, last season, 13 points, 4.8 rebounds, and two and a half assists were her averages. So I feel like wherever Alicia Gray goes, and and also remember she's a three-by-three gold medalist, I love her game. I think she can fit nicely in with just about any team. I think she will be a much-added addition to Atlanta, a team that, I mean, they were just slightly out of the playoff picture this last season i think with her plus with retooling the team some of their um you know some of their uh rookies or their younger players they get you know another year of experience i think this atlanta team is poised to uh you know probably push to the playoffs this season um one last note sources again are saying the liberty and the storm are both interested in chicago guard courtney vandersloot so as i mentioned The free agent period where teams can actually reach out and talk to players that begins tomorrow. So the expectation here is that tomorrow they will begin uh, talking with her and inquiring with her about her status and probably potentially start making offers. So, again, this period is going to you know, we've we've seen a few interesting transactions thus far. Haven't seen the the big wide swath. I mean, what we're going to hear more so about are either trades, movement uh, on the draft board, um, of course, any type of free agency movement. But again, you know, we really won't hear about widespread the whole, oh, well, blah, 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 resign with this team. But we'll keep an eye on things and hopefully we'll try to, if we can here, kind of encapsulate all of the transactions, maybe over a few shows, because once this thing breaks loose tomorrow, it's going to be a big, a swath of action is going to occur uh, over the next uh, few weeks, uh, potentially. 
let's go over to the Australian Open. So I've got uh, a lot of uh, scores and uh, results here. So we'll kind of start with the men and then we'll go to the ladies. Number one, Rafael Nadal loses to US, uh, American Mackenzie McDonald, 6464 uh, uh, or it should be 4-6, 4-6, 5-7. Uh, American Taylor Fritz loses to Alexi Poprin of Australia, 766746, 7-6-2-6. Number 12, Alexander Zverev falls to American Michael Momo, 764636 and 2-6. Additional men's updates from the other day. Uh, American Francis Tiafo falls to Karen Kachanov, 36466367. And number seven, Daniel Medvedev loses to American Sebastian Korda, 6736 and 6-7. Um, also, Casper Rudd, second seed, falls to Jensen Brooksby, 3-6, and 2-6. On the ladies' side, Ans Habur, the second seed, falls to Marketa Vondrova from the Czech Republic, 1-6-7-5 and 1-6. Also falling, 13-seeded Danielle Collins, 10-seeded Madison Keys, and 6-seeded Maria Sakari. Let's move over to the NFL. So I almost forgot to do this, but we're going to do it right now so it doesn't get left off. Here are the divisional picks. So we got divisional games, and I'll go ahead and pick them. Again, didn't do too bad last week. So the, the numbers of games are getting smaller now. <laughs> so now my potential error goes up by probably by 10, but we'll see how it goes. So can I go 4-0? and Do I go 2-2? Two and two? We'll see. All right, let's start tomorrow. So 4.30 NBC, the Jaguars at the Chiefs. The Chiefs are nine-point favorites. I think we can all agree that the Chiefs are going to win this game. I mean, don't want to take it away from the Jaguars. Um, you know, post um, Urban Meyer, this team has really <laughs> looked so much better. wasn't great, but it was way better than what it was. So we'll take the Chiefs over the Jaguars. Then eight fifteen on Fox, the Giants head to the link. In Philly to take on the Eagles or seven and a half point favorites. So this is the one game I didn't get last week. Giants Vikings. The Giants won. I picked the Vikings. This game, I'm going to say it's going to be closer. I'm not picking the Giants. Don't be foolish here. But I'll take the Eagles. I'll take it close. I think the Giants will give them a game. I think the Giants will give the Eagles a game. But I like the Eagles close. Um, maybe a little less than seven and a half. On Sunday, we start 3 p.m. on CBS. The Bengals visit Buffalo to take on the Bills. The Bills are five-and-a-half-point favorites. I'm going to take the Bills here. Um, kind of off of last season, it's like the, like the Bengals kind of kept it going, but they didn't look as impressive as last year. Now, don't now. If the Bengals win this one, I wouldn't be surprised, but I, I'm not really going to go that route. I feel pretty confident the Bills will win this game. And then 6.30 on Fox, the Cowboys visit the 49ers, who are four-point favorites. Now, of the four games, this is the one to me that felt the toughest to try to figure out. And I don't know. I kind of think the 49ers are going to win this one. I think this one will be close. I'm going to say 49ers by a field goal to go to the NFC Championship. So right now, if this all plays out, good luck, right? I got the Chiefs and the Bills in the AFC Championship, and I got the Eagles and the 49ers in the NFC Championship right now. So we'll, again, we'll, re, we'll rehash it out again next week and you know, on the Monday show, and then we'll see how it all is going to go. But uh, if, if I go 4-0, and I'm going to be mind blown. Now, again, again, now you're down to four teams. Again, now the uh, error and level of difficulty goes up by 100, but we'll see how it goes. 
All right, let's recap the week from college basketball. So for the ladies, so again, as I said, try to keep up with the ranked action and any you know upsets or any uh, you know important ranked action upsets or you know any conference action that affects kind of the conference standings. I didn't really get too much into the conference standings on the ladies side right now. I'll kind of recap that next week. I did talk a little bit about that I think on the show last week, Wednesday night. Number eight, number six, Indiana, sorry, over number 21, Illinois, 83-72. Mackenzie Holmes at 30 points for the Hoosiers. Genesis Bryant led the Illini with 18. Last night, the big dust-up in the ACC, Carolina Duke, number 17, Carolina over number 13, Duke, 61-56. Deja Kelly leads the Tar Heels with 19. Uh, Super sophomore Cheyenne Day-Wilson, 24 for Duke. So listen to these numbers. So here's kind of going into the stats and the numbers here. Duke shot 33% from the field and the three-point line. Carolina shot 49% from the field. So, again, there's kind of the, the difference in the game. But, again, Alyssa Utsby had a big third quarter. She scored 10 of her 16 in the third to help uh, with that win over their arch rivals. Looking at the schedule, some key games. So, we got Stanford twice over the weekend. Number eight, Stanford visits Maples. Uh, to take on number four, Stanford, that game tonight, 9 p.m. on Pac-12. And then the return for Colorado. Colorado then visits Maples, 5 p.m. on Pac-12 to take on the Cardinals. So we get two Stanford games on uh, Pac-12 this weekend. Um, that Utah-Stanford game tonight should be very good. I'm, I'm curious to check that one out. Haven't really seen a lot of Utah play this season. Seen Stanford a few times. I mean, you know what you get with the Stanford team. But Utah, what I've seen previously is, you know, again, they're a very good team offensively. They really work hard on defense, but their offense is what I think really uh, I, I really focus in on for as one of their big strengths. All right. On the men's side, let's go back to Tuesday night. Number 13, Kansas State upsets number two, Kansas in overtime, 83-82. Keontae Johnson, 24 for the Wildcats and Jalen Wilson leads Kansas with 38 points in that one point overtime loss. Also on Tuesday night, number 12, Iowa State takes down number seven, Texas, 78-67. Jaron Holmes at 21 for the uh, the Cyclones. Christian Bishop, 12 points off the bench for Texas. Iowa State, they went 38% from the three-point line and took care of the basketball. They only had seven turnovers in that game. So, you know, you you seven turnovers, that's seven more than you really want, but when you can keep those turnovers beyond like less than double digits, I mean, and you shoot well, hey, I think that is a very good recipe for winning. Um, one other game from last night. Wake Forest takes down number 19, Clemson, 87 to 77. Uh, I'm sorry, that game was from Tuesday night. Sorry. Uh, 87 77, Tyree Appleby leads Wake Forest to 24 points. PJ Hall leads Clemson with 22. So this is, as we said, Clemson, again, you know, Clemson's leading the ACC right now and Duke is not ranked. What world are we living in right now? So right now, Clemson is currently seven and one. They're sitting solidly in first place in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Um, now, the log jam is behind them. you got Miami, Pitt and Virginia all at six and two. So those are your four seeds. Now. Virginia is in a weird position as they typically are. They're in that fourth position, which is where you want to be. You want to be one through four. But Pitt and Miami both have tiebreakers over Virginia. So right now, 
Pitt, Miami. Um, I don't know when and if they played again. The, the, that, that's the one thing about this. It's like there's so many games I can't really keep up with who's played who for the most part. But Pitt, Miami will be fun because, again, that game will kind of control second and third. Virginia gets Wake on Saturday. They go to Winston-Salem. Wake is currently behind them at 6-2. and two. So this game for Virginia, yet you know every game in the ACC is important. This game takes on a little bit more importance simply because what Virginia has to do. They've got to protect that fourth seed and then maybe hope for some shakeups up the chain as this thing goes along. But right now, Clemson playing really good basketball. At seven and one, they've gotten well, they're going to play 20 games. So they're almost halfway through their ACC slates. Let's say they go and finish this thing. Let's say they win their next two. They're nine and one. So at nine and one, maybe one more slip up down the way, they go what? Uh, 18 and two, which would be insane. They could easily win this first slot. And then everybody from two to five has to fight to get into that. Uh, two, three, four position to get that double buy. So uh, the ACC this year, three ranked teams in Clemson, Miami, Virginia, down year for the ACC. But you probably could honestly say it's been a down year for the ACC for quite a few years. Um, you know, now last year, you know, Duke, uh, North Carolina, both make it to the final four. UNC moves on and then they, you know, lose to Kansas. But still, you know, for me, you know, I'm an old head that's been watching the ACC for years, and the ACC was the conference. Now, again, everything gets realigned with football. You know, there's more, you know, you know, parity across college basketball for the most part. But for the most part, you know, there's still good basketball from top to bottom in this league. Um, let's go to Wednesday night action. Seton Hall takes down number 15, UConn 67-66. This game, from a statistical standpoint, was very ugly. Neither team shot particularly well. Seton Hall managed to get to the free throw line 25 times, but they only shot 68%. So what's my rule? 75% or better. No bueno, uh, Pirates. UConn won the rebounding battle 40 to 32, but the turnovers. Seton Hall had nine and UConn had 18 turnovers. UConn currently is sixth in Big East. They are at four and five. More scores from the Big East. DePaul over number eight, Xavier, 73-72. Xavier still is on top of the Big East standings. Number 20, Marquette over number 22, Providence, 83-75. Cam Jones, 21 points for the Warriors. And Ed Croswell led the Friars with 20. From the SEC from Wednesday night, Missouri over number 25, Kansas, 79-76. Missouri trailed 67-57 with five minutes to go. They rallied to win this game by three. Kobe Brown. 17 points for Missouri and Devontae Davis, 18 for Arkansas. Last night, Michigan State over number 23, Rutgers, 70 to 57. AJ Hoggard, 16 points for the Spartans. Paul McCahey and Clifford Omaruri, 13 points each for Rutgers. And Omaruri kicked in with 12 rebounds. Big 10, Purdue's the standard bearer at 7 and 1. Now, here's the logjam Michigan State and Rutgers are second and third. Wisconsin's currently in that fourth position at four and three behind them, Iowa, Michigan. So if you look at this, Michigan State kind of had that rocky start. They've got the conference play. They're doing fairly well. So they're rising to the top. Rutgers is in the mix. 
So much better than what they were. Wisconsin, I think, at that four position, a little disappointing. And then Michigan and Iowa teams, I think a lot of people expected to do a little bit more in the Big uh, the Big Ten. They're you know, kind of hanging around. But again, an, another situation here. The Big Ten, still tough conference to play in. I would wager that probably from Michigan on up, maybe one team down from Michigan, I think those are the the teams that are really fighting for position. Everyone else below them, I think below them might be Northwestern. And they're kind of, you know, um, my question is, I wonder, does Chris Collins get another year? Because, yeah, it's kind of been a rough and bumpy ride for the Wildcats under his tenure. Uh, big upset uh, out west, Loyola Marymount heads to Spokane and takes down number six, Gonzaga, 68-67. In doing that, the Lions broke Gonzaga's 75-game home win streak. Cam Shelton had 27 points for Loyola Marymount. Andrew Timmy led Gonzaga with 17. Let's look at the men's side. Saturday, a couple big ranked games from the Big 12. Number 14, TCU heads to Lawrence to take on number 2, Kansas. That game, 1 p.m. on CBS, 2 p.m. on ABC. Number 5, UCLA heads to Tucson, the McHale Center, to take on number 11, Arizona. From college basketball, news and notes. Just one uh, item to discuss. Notre Dame head basketball coach Mike Bray plans to retire at the end of the season. So for Bray, he has been with Notre Dame for 23 years and he is the winningest coach in program history. So if you recall, we talked a little bit about this last season. So the rumor was out there that Bray was going to retire at the end of last season. So they had a really good season last year, so we'll get to that in just a second. But let's uh, kind of, I'm, I'm going to read to you his statement. So, quote, it has been a great run for me and our program over the past two decades, but it is time for a new voice to lead this group into the future. I want to thank our student athletes, assistant coaches and support staff who have played such a key role in the culture we have created. Close quote. Um, I really like Mike Bray. Um and watching him in interviews, so um, I don't ACC Network. Wh- what I'm still blown by the simple fact that they just decided, oh, Packer and Durham, we're gonna get rid of it. I mean, great morning show, you got good content, and they would you know interview coaches in season, out of season, and whenever they had Mike Brown on the show, it was so entertaining. They talked to him live one time. They went to Notre Dame for the uh, like the, the ACC cross country championships. I mean, Bray's a hoot. He is such a character and such a good basketball coach. I've always admired him. He's done such great work in so many places. So what has he accomplished at Notre Dame? 13 NCAA appearances. They went to the Sweet 16 in 2003. They went to the Elite Eight back-to-back in 2015 and 2016. And at Notre Dame, he's won 481 games. Currently among Division I coaches, he is seventh for most at their current school. Last year, the team in conference then went 15 and five. They finished runner up for the regular season title to Duke 24 and 11 and got their first NCAA appearance in four years. Um, Also, during his time at Notre Dame, if you recall, Notre Dame was a member of the Big East. Then they moved to the ACC. He was three time Big East coach of the year. Notre Dame had a magical run through the 2015 ACC tournament and won it. So, 
um, in the uh, ACC tournament documentary, they you know they showed that era, and I mean, I remember those games. That was just a fun year for Notre Dame basketball. I mean, a good year, you know. And that team, they looked they looked very tournament ready, and you kind of thought that you know they went to the Elite Eight that year. That was a team that you thought, okay, Bray's got the secret sauce this year. This team could potentially go into a Final Four and challenge for a national title. But again, as we said, they went to the Elite Eight, and that's kind of where it ended for them that season. He also has had 16 20-win seasons uh, at, at Notre Dame. But here's the problem. This year, they are struggling. Currently, they are 9-10, and 1-7 in the conference. This is the worst season Worst start and worst season currently in his tenure. And the one thing about Bray that you have to admire, he hasn't shied away from the why. So he basically said this in talking about the team after they lost to Florida State. He said, quote, I defer to our leadership and our captains. They do have ownership of themselves, but I certainly haven't been able to help them much. I just told them I've done a horrible job with you fellas. I thought we would be more ready to compete there. That's the boss's responsibility, totally accountable. So, uh, again, you know, you have to admire that. I mean, in many cases, some coaches will kind of just be like, eh, you know, not what, what do you want me to do? But he take, he, you know, he, you know, he's been doing this long enough. He knows when he knows how to coach. He knows what to do in certain situations. Um, he's only, I think he's 67, 63, he's 63. He's been, he's been coaching a long time and I guess maybe it's that time, you know, now again, uh, uh, retire or it's a step down. So the term is step down. So last season, the term was retire. So step down, retire are two different terms. So now you have to ask yourself the question, okay, is this it? Is he stepping down and maybe we're going to see him on television, which actually would be awesome. Or is he going to step down, maybe step away from coaching for a little bit and maybe we'll see him again somewhere. You never know. But um, Jack Swarbrick, Notre Dame's uh, athletic director, basically in so many words, basically said, you know, uh, they've had had conversations about uh, transitioning the team, you know, kind of, you know, OK, what's the future? You know, how do we transition from you to uh, your, your your new your replacement? And he said that, you know, during the most recent conversation, we reached a mutual dis- uh, conclusion that the end of the season represented the right time. That's a quote from Jack Swarbrick. Um, and he went on to basically you know, say that, you know, the work that he's done at Notre Dame, 23 years, winning his coaching history. It's basically a testament to him as a person, an educator, you know, a mentor, a coach. And again, like I said, I've watched him for a number of years. He, you know, I mean, he sat next to Mike Krzyzewski for years, for goodness sake. The man had to have learned, you know, I mean, he sat next to some great coaches in his assistant coaching time. So the man can flat out coach basketball. Let let us be clear here. Um, So his coaching, his coaching uh, uh, work here. He started coaching, so he's a DeMatha guy. He's from the DMV. He's the DeMatha guy. He played at DeMatha. He was assistant to the legendary Morgan Wooten. Then he was a Duke assistant from 87 to 95. So if you watch some of those old clips, you'll see a very young Mike Bray (laughs) sitting next to Coach K. And then uh, in 1995, he took the head coaching job at Delaware, and he did some great work at Delaware. He had some really good teams at Delaware. He coached there for five years. Um, won the uh, went to the NCAA twice and won the America East twice. 
then took the Notre Dame job in 2000. So again, um, you know, coach, you know, has had some uh, outstanding experiences uh, coaching under some fabulous coaches, um, learned a lot, was able to just take that knowledge and translate it into some great teams at Delaware and then some fantastic teams at Notre Dame going to the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, whatever the future holds for Mike Bray, you know, all the best to him. But like I said, outside of just the coaching and what he's done at Notre Dame, um, the, you know, the article said he's one of the most beloved, loved guys in college basketball. And I can totally see it. I mean, <laughs> he seems like the kind of guy that you would have some drinks with with him and he could tell you some stories. That, that's 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 all I see. And uh, all the best to him. Uh, whatever he does, like I said, I would like to see him coach again. But again, you know, when you get to a particular point, you know, he's 63, you know, he's young, but he's, you know, probably at that point where he's just ready to, you know, do something else. He's been coaching for so many years. But if he goes and sits in the studio and does TV, you, you want to talk about some much must see, must watch television. I would definitely be all for that regardless. Let's move over to college football. So some news and notes from college football. Um, Coach Prime, oh boy, Coach Prime strikes again. So he flips five-star Komani McLean. So this young man's a cornerback from Lakeland, Florida. So he's the, flipped him from Miami to Colorado. So he's the number four overall cornerback, number one, uh, number four overall player rather, number one cornerback in his class, and he's the top player in Florida. So remember, <laughs> back in 2022, he flipped Travis Hunter from Florida State to Jackson State. So I'm going, man. So if you remember, Florida State fans were pissed, like beyond pissed. And, you know, I sat in the Twitter space with all these Florida State, and I'm just listening, all these Florida State fans, and they are losing their minds. How dare he? And blah, blah, blah. And I'm kind of going, you know, and, and most people who, you know, either listen to the, 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 the Twitter space or they saw the tweets, they're like, so you really mean to tell me that? So Dion's a Florida State guy, but you really think he he owes y'all anything? I'm thinking, look, this man's trying to turn around a football program, and he saw opportunity. He saw something in Travis Hunter, and he basically said, "Look, I know this kid can be great." And he's at Jackson State, and he you know does some things there. But now, as you know, now that Coach Prime's at Colorado, he rolled out with him, so now he's at Colorado. So, made Florida State fans mad. Now, Florida State and Miami are rivals. He's pissed off Miami fans. So, I think Miami fans are probably way more mad at him than Florida State fans. Because, wow. Yeah, I, I don't really know what else to say about that. Because, of course, the Florida State fans, they were making some wild accusations. And I'm kind of going, look, guys, I, I know you're upset, but y'all got to. Y'all got to relax because, you know, the man's doing what he's supposed to do. He's coaching a football team. He's trying to bring in some talent. Now, how he did it, that's none of my business. Now, if 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 it if it's not above board, it will come out in the wash. I'm not saying it was, but that's what these fans were saying. I'm kind of going, look, y'all just got to take the L and move on. But as we have seen, Florida State, they're getting progressively better. Um, I feel like moving into next season – you know, especially in ACC, I think Florida State could begin to challenge Clemson a little bit because there are some folks who will say 
that Florida State, that Clemson's down. I'm going, well, I mean, they didn't have a Clemson-like season, but at the same time, too, I don't think they're down. I think that is, uh, I think that is, you know, I think that's a bit crazy. I mean, and I think somebody asked Dabble Sweeney, Sweeney that, and they're, he's kind of like, what, are you kidding me? Like, look at our record. Exactly. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not the biggest Dabble fan, but I had to agree with them. I mean, look at the record. Look at what they've accomplished. Okay. Yeah, they didn't win the national championship every year, but they're winning football games and they're still a pretty dominant program. I think Florida State, I think they're slowly, I think next year, I think they make the next big lead. They put they could potentially challenge Clemson, but we'll see. Um Colorado release. I saw their schedule release. And who oh boy. Uh now <laughs> let's say this. Um you got to look at number one, the um, the and we read through the list of quarterbacks that are returning in the in the Pac-12 next year. Now, Shadur Sanders, he's going to he's going to be he's going to do his thing. So he's amongst those group of guys uh, in the Pac-12. They're going to be, you know, that that quarterback Mecca that's coming up next season. But look at their schedule. I, I don't maybe they win five games. I, I don't I don't know, man. I mean, that that Pac that Pac twelve schedule is going to be a little brutal. Now, if they manage to make this interesting, it's going to be a combination of really really good coaching, which I think they have, but it's going to be sheer will, sheer will. If they win more than five games, I don't. I mean, I, again, this is on paper. Now we always look at things on paper. We give things the eye test, but I don't know if they. I, Five games at best. Four games, five games at best. Look at their schedule. You look at the schedule, you tell me what you think. But, again, it's not going to be the start that people will will want. It's not going to be the start that people, you know, okay, five games is better than one. But I think people are extremely excited about what Coach Prime is bringing to Colorado without question. And I think they're going to expect big things. I mean, they've they're bringing a lot of players, they get transfers, that sort of thing. And if they win seven, again, they go to a bowl. But you know, I don't, you know, I don't see this team going to near six. I don't see this team competing for at least not this year. Competing for the CFP. I mean, if they if they squeeze out six, they're in a bowl. But I think five is the limit from looking at the schedule. Texas Christian hires Arkansas offensive coordinator Kendall Bryles to replace Garrett Riley. Remember, Garrett Riley's on his way to Clemson after they uh, let their OC go. Arkansas quickly hired Dan Enos from Maryland to replace Bryles. So we're playing the offensive coordinator shuffle here. So um, everybody's getting who they want. I don't know what Maryland's going to do, but I guess we'll probably hear about that shortly. Ole Miss, man, I tell you. Um, your man uh, Lane Kiffin, he always he always up to something. And Lane Kiffin transfer news. So, so remember last year, Jackson Dart leaves USC to go to Ole Miss. So he's going to be the returning starter. Um, last year, Dart threw for uh, this past season two thousand nine hundred seventy four yards, twenty touchdowns, eleven interceptions. So this transfer portal season, Spencer Sanders from Oklahoma State into Ole Miss and quarterback Walker Howard. So Howard is a former five-star recruit. He was at LSU last season. So I think I rec- if I recall what I read, 
Um, Brian Kelly, prior to taking the LSU job, was trying to recruit Howard to go to Notre Dame. So he ends up at LSU and now he he transfers and now he goes to Ole Miss. And I think part of the issue is I think that they didn't really have any viable high school recruits that they wanted to look at. So Dart obviously needed some uh, some backups. And I think they may have had a transfer out, but they've got three quarterbacks in camp. At Ole Miss, it's going to be this quarterback uh, situation. The the, the battle is going to be zesty at Ole Miss. And of course, you know, if you're a quarterback, who wouldn't want to play for Lane Kiffin? I mean, because Lane always got some up his sleeve. So uh, Ole Miss is going to be interesting to look at. And of course, I'm pretty sure like most of these big programs are going to have a a spring game. I just saw a tweet the other day that tickets are on sale already for the Ohio state spring game. So it's going to be fun to watch once these guys get in camp uh, and start slinging it around the yard uh, for spring ball. Um, Hey, we got another Jim Harbaugh update. No, he's staying. He's staying at Michigan, but This is an update about the NCAA investigation. So here's what happens. So this week, he has refused multiple meetings with the NCAA to acknowledge that he lied to investigators. So recall, Harbaugh faces a level one violation and a level three violation. So as we know, one is the worst. The level one violation is not complying with the investigation and misleading investigators. So here's the issue. Here's the catch 22. If he acknowledged that he lied to investigators, that would lead to a multi-game suspension. But because the process of investigating is so slow that if it comes out or if it is found that he lied and misled investigators, that's level one violation, he more likely will not serve a suspension until 2024. So that's kind of the the big piece right now. Now, the other piece here is, if you recall, we said that in the last show, well, the show before, we said that, okay, he told the university president he's coming back. And according to reports, the university president then called the AD to say, Ward Manuel to say, oh, he's staying which everyone goes, that's a little suspicious because I reported it, but didn't really think about it. But then as I'm reading more and more, people are going, isn't that weird? He obviously does report to the president, but his direct boss is the athletic director. So people are kind of saying, yeah, it seems as if their relationship, Harbaugh and Ward Manuel is becoming a little strained. Plus, I kind of feels a little disrespectful. I'm not going to take it too much further if you know, you know who Ward Manual is. You you get it, but it, it it's this isn't good. Like I said, there's a lot of just infighting and a lot of uh, things that are very peculiar that's happening at Michigan. Um, I would have thought, and I said this before, I would have thought that Harbaugh would have rolled out because of the investigation, but apparently. He's staying, but now he's not really doing a whole lot to cooperate with the investigation. So this is going to get interesting once all the pieces and all the all the everything just starts to fall and all the pieces come together. So we'll see how this goes. But one other piece with Michigan football. Co-offensive coordinator Matt Weiss is currently on leave. 
So apparently there's some issue with Weiss having unauthorized computer access or computer access crime rather at the team facility. Weiss has said that he is cooperating with the authorities in the investigation. So it's interesting to see how that's going to go. But right now, you know, Michigan fans are probably, again, still feeling some kind of way about the CFP, how it ended again, you know, thinking forward to the spring. OK, this can only get better. You know, maybe the team finally, you know, breaks through next season. But right now there's so much happening off the field that it's kind of taking away from the on the field, trying to get things back on the field and getting fans focused on on the field things. So it's going to be interesting to see how all the pieces kind of come together, fall, whatever you may say. Um, but this relationship that's strained between Harbaugh and Ward Manuel, and I think the article that I read also talked about the fact that Manuel, there's no, nothing has been written contractually to say that Harbaugh's returning. So I guess there has to be some formal thing to say, oh, okay, you're back, cool, whatever. Um, and of course, as we said, in his contract, when he re redid his contract, he basically had to tell the AD that he was talking to other teams about anything. So he did do his due diligence, but still there's, you know, there, there's conflict in that relationship and it doesn't look good from that aspect and from the investigative aspect. So we'll keep an eye on that. Um, I'm sure that if anything happened there, it's going to be big news without question. All right, so let's get to dubs and L's. So we end the show as we always do on Fridays with dubs and L's. So I got, so this is weird. I got like a dub and a half today. Um, I got one L and a dub and a half. I don't know if that makes sense. I'll, I'll explain in a minute. So we'll start with one of the dubs. So we'll start with the one dub, then we'll get to the half a dub and the full L. So we got an L and one and a half dubs. Do the math. You, you got it. All right, um, Old Dominion University head coach Jeff Jones last night, he coached barefooted. So you're going, and why do I need to know this? So Coach Jones, he is uh, he is associated with an organization called Samaritan's Feet. He wanted to raise awareness for their, uh, their, uh, their work. So Samaritan's Feet, they distribute new shoes to underserved children and individuals worldwide. Um, they also... Uh, you know, wash feet in the in this in the Good Samaritan way. So he wanted to raise awareness for them and their efforts. And so and he did a video on, on social media to kind of, you know, explain what Samaritan's feet do and to kind of encourage people to, you know, to 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 donate, to support their efforts. And, and I got to, you know, salute uh, the head basketball coach of my alma mater and fellow Wahoo, Jeff Jones, for. Uh, his work with Samaritan's Feet and for for doing that. I'm sure that probably was a little weird to be barefooted on the sideline of a basketball court and then having to be like, hey, y'all don't step on my feet. But but again, like I said, uh, that's awesome. The awareness that he's bringing to this organization. All right. So here's my half a dub and my full L. The half a dub here goes to someone who I've talked about in this podcast. Haven't talked about him in a while. A uh, local author, local here in the DMV, uh, has a radio show and also has a podcast, Edge of Sports, Dave Zirin. And I, Dave Zirin never misses. He's the sports editor of The Nation. And yesterday he wrote an article calling out Tony Dungy. And Tony Dungy, I mean, listen, we can admire 
everything that Tony Dungy has done as an NFL player and an NFL head coach. However, the article in the Nation, essentially in so many words, called uh, called Dungy an anti-gay bigot. He speaks at conferences where organizers are violently homophobic. The periodical Outsports they did a two-part series on Dungy's history of homophobia, and here in here in uh, the DMV and in, in Washington D.C. tomorrow is the annual uh, March for Life, and Tony Dungy will be there. Um, also, this week on Twitter. Dungy tweeted out objections to a new law in the Twin Cities, which provides tampons in public school bathrooms. Dungy regularly uses and advocates right wing talking points. So the tweet that he pushed out was deleted. He didn't apologize. So, again, did NBC or the NFL call him and say, look, you might want to you know, chill on this. We don't know. But typically, in some cases, when you tweet out something wholly outrageous, dangerous, uh, dangerous words that can potentially uh, affect the lives of others, usually you try to be like, look, maybe I didn't think this through. I apologize. Delete the tweet. He just deleted it and didn't say a word. So I think by deleting that tweet and not at least acknowledging that you said some things that aren't very nice, I think that speaks volumes about Tony Dungy and what he thinks. So I'll kind of come back to that in a moment. Um, but the other point that uh, Mr. Zyron raises in this article is that, the, that again, NBC and the NFL has been silent on his writings and tweets for years. In other words, he used the example that the obvious example that, well, hey, if Colin Kaepernick, you know, we know what he did and the NFL quickly was they they put the kibosh on that. But Tony Dungy tweets out all these things, all these right wing, you know, talking points. And, you know, he says all these things that are vehemently untrue and nobody has anything to say about it. So here's kind of the thing I want to say here. And my, my, my thing is this. I don't have a problem with anybody's religious beliefs. My problem is when somebody takes those beliefs to the point that they want to affect the lives of others or they spread misinformation that can potentially put people's lives in danger. And this is what we're seeing. We're seeing these um, these talking points that are put out into the world that really potentially harm people or or will drive people to be violent towards, you know, towards women, towards those who are LGBTQ plus. And my whole thing is, how does somebody who is busy living their life, doing what they're supposed to do, how does that affect me? Why do I care? It's so hypocritical that somebody who believes what Tony Dungy believes from a religious standpoint, that they want to judge you here on earth. I think I learned that when I leave here, I'm not I'm getting judged by a higher power. I'm not getting judged by people on earth. So why is it that there's this overwhelming desire to take away rights of women to have control over their bodies? What what does that prove? What what do you get from that? 
But what's wild is that by taking away these rights, you're almost in essence putting more children in danger. Because the other piece of that is they're taking away support for children. So you bring a child in this world and it's like, OK, well, there you go. You're, you got it. You got this. And we wonder why so many children are, you know, in foster care or why I mean, so many children are in homes where they are not loved or they're abused. So I salute Dave Zirin for writing the story. And it's crazy because I saw a tweet yesterday or I think the day, the same day, I think yesterday. And I said someone said, you know, essentially, yeah, I wrote this article about, you know, uh, Tony Dungy saying terrible things about, you know, young LGBTQ plus individuals. And I'm going, you know, if this is true, I wouldn't be completely shocked. And now we find it to be true. And I sit here not shocked, but I sit here angry because, again, we're seeing this. We're seeing how people take beliefs, which they're perfectly fine to have, and they turn them into rhetoric that is divisive rhetoric that is harmful and rhetoric that can put others lives in danger because this is where we are people keep going further and further and further into their hate and dislike of people who are different than them and and for what you're wasting energy focus on your own life focus on your own things no one's dealing with you and remember that you're going to be judged by a higher power, not by the people sitting next to you. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, I leave you and I appreciate you listening to the podcast. As always, thank you for uh, the, the shares, the retweets. Um, hit me up on Instagram and Twitter. It's Uncle Dub, I-T-S-U-N-C-L underscore D-U-B. Um, also, uh, in the show notes, email, hit me up on email. Um, you know, share the show, uh, let people know what you listen. Also, episode 200 is out. So as you know, this is 201. So go back an episode, check out my interview with Desi Walker from Road to Par. Great conversation, great interview. If you're interested in golf or want to learn a little bit more about the sport, I highly encourage you to listen. And until I talk to you on Monday, we'll recap the NFL. We'll kind of get to more college basketball will kind of set the deck for next week. And of course, the Australian Open will come to a crescendo next week. Until I talk to you, make sure that you mask up, continue to stay healthy, protect yourself, and also remember to drink your water and mind the business that pays you. Peace. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Sports Wagon Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and tell a friend about the show. You can also send me a voicemail or send me a message on Twitter or Instagram at It's Uncle Dub. That's I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. Also, please consider supporting the podcast at buymeacoffee.com backslash sports wagon pod. I really appreciate your support. Thank you.